If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Happy holidays, everyone. I'm Carol Vassar, welcoming you to the Nemours Champions for Children COVID-19 update for Christmas week. In this edition of the podcast, host Dr. Jay Greenspan provides a situational update. He'll also speak with Nemours infectious disease specialist Dr. Neil Rolosa about the vaccine rollout within the enterprise, when the vaccine might be available for kids, the new variant COVID-19 strain emerging in the UK, and what it's actually like to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Here's your host, Dr. Jay Greenspan. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having happy holidays. As of 1223, the day before Christmas Eve 2020, uh, we still sit with a surge of COVID. We have passed the 18 million people mark in the United States being positive for covid uh, with over 323,000 deaths. Right now, we're sort of at a peak in terms of deaths. We are experiencing a death in the United States. About one in every 30 seconds, someone is dying, which is a horrible milestone and something we are, are trying to fight with information like this podcast, as well as the vaccines. Two have been approved. I'm sure you all know the Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, to date, as of this date, we have about 4.6 million first segment vaccines available uh, and dispersed throughout the country. About 600,000 have already been administered as of this time. And so that's really good news. That's the situational update, but I'm really pleased to welcome my guest and friend, Dr. Neil Rolosa. Neil is an infectious disease specialist at the Nemours Alpha Di DuPont Hospital for Children. You must have had a really quiet year, not much going on in your practice of infectious diseases. And um, <laughs> so I, think I spent most of the time, Jay, sleeping under my desk. Yeah. Uh, but um, no, it's, yeah, obviously this year has been a precedent year for everyone, but particularly for us in infectious diseases. And, and you know, we have been stretched to the max in terms of, of all the challenges uh, that we're seeing from the pandemic. I sometimes even have to remind myself, I'm not only thinking about it as a, an infectious disease doctor professionally, but reminding myself that I'm going through this pandemic just like everyone else and trying to make my way through it all just like everyone else is. It's been quite a year. So I saw you getting the vaccine last week. I did. <laughs> <laughs> how did it go? Uh, how, um, how are the side effects? It, it, was, it, was, it was good. I, I mean, again, I think a testament for everyone who's been involved in terms of getting my notification, getting my time set up, going through the process, uh, very streamlined in terms of doing it. I will say that my arm hurt like heck the next day. <laughs> if, if you've gotten yours... You know, I'm used to the flu shot with a, a sore arm, and I will say it was a little bit um, more than flu shot, but a little bit of ibuprofen, and I was all well and good. But other than that, I, I felt good, still feel good, and I'm looking forward to, to getting my second one soon. And, and for most of the people that I talk to, same kind of thing in terms of maybe some soreness of their arm, but nothing uh, uh, nothing beyond that, which is good. Yeah. 
And we do have, um, we, we actually have 3685 Nemours associates that said yes to the vaccine. I think we're going to be able to get to all of them pretty quickly because we've gotten a lot of Moderna and, and, and Pfizer vaccines available, both in Florida and in the Delaware Valley. So that's really good news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and actually that number, the 3685, is only about half of Nemours associates. So the rest either didn't fill out the survey or said maybe or said no. We hope to get to everybody eventually because we want to get to a certain level of certainly U.S. vaccinations, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this only works as strategy to end the pandemic by having as many people who can receive the vaccine get the vaccine. It's part of the strategy. It's not the the absolute be all end all to ending this pandemic, but it's a huge part of where we need to get to. And so the more and more people get the vaccine, the, the closer and closer we come to ending this pandemic. So after, Neil, after you get the vaccine, when does the protection kick in? So for the vaccines that we have available right now, in terms of, you mentioned them, Jay, both the Pfizer and Moderna are, are two-dose vaccines. And we know by the, the clinical trials that were done that the protection immunity really will kick in after that second dose at around one to two weeks from where it is. So it's not in, instantaneous, just like other vaccines in terms of when you accrue protection. But after that second dose, within a couple of weeks, that's where we think is going to be the most optimal protection. So we got to stay safe and do all the usual stuff. Yeah. And like sort of what I alluded to, it's not just this is what we know about the vaccine is that its efficacy was about people getting severe disease. What we still don't know about the disease is what it means for transmission. So as, as I'm saying, it's so important for for as many people that we can can get vaccinated, we're still going to do all those things that are, are helping prevent transmission in terms of wearing our masks. Again, because immediately after you get it, you still have the opportunity, if you are infected, of, of spreading it. You still can theoretically get infected, although, again, we're not sure in a large scheme of things what, uh, what immunization is going to mean. And keeping those practices of, of masking, social distancing, uh, good hand hy- hygiene, uh, trying to avoid avoid crowds until we get enough people who are immune and we can start uh, pulling back on some of those things. So, Neil, this is great news about adults getting vaccinated and you and I have both been, been vaccinated. What what can we expect for kids, say, under 18? Yeah, you know, that's obviously for us as pediatricians and pediatric providers, this is an important question for us. You know, although we know that the uh, COVID-19 has not been anywhere close to the impact that it has on, on adults in terms of severity of disease and mortality and things like that. But we know we, we have kids that are, are getting infected and are sick and, and are a big part, uh, can be a big part of transmission. So we need to think about how do we get them uh, immune, uh, immunized. You know, it's important to point out right now, um, the vaccines are not uh, being uh, recommended or used for for children, um, but that doesn't mean that they are are not safe. It means that we haven't tested them. And and, and uh, many of the companies that, that are developing vaccine are currently uh, 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 either starting to enroll uh, children or, or are making plans to have uh, pediatric trials. And I think it's on the horizon and it will be here. And I think you know, especially when we look at all different other types of, of, of vaccines that uh, it, it hasn't been that big of a leap to say what has worked for adults can work for pediatrics, which is, which is not always the case in pediatric medicine. 
Um, but I think we can we can have the same type of optimism for children and, and getting them vaccinated that we're having for older people and adults. Yeah, so yeah, very interesting, Neil. What do you think the timeline would be if uh, these companies are starting to test now for a COVID vaccine for kids? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's somewhat hard to speculate, but let, let's say hopefully as we go into the new year, uh, and again, we are getting more data as we vaccinate. And again, um, there's still other companies' vaccines to, to come about going into the new year. And, and again, continuing at the pace we are in terms of, of this process that I would, and again, this is poor man's educated guess, say that by at least next fall that we probably would start being able to immunize children. But I'll keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. And by the way, it goes without saying that, you know, get your flu vaccine. This does not cover you for the flu, right? COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. All the other immunizations in general, we know that's been been a, a part of the problem that everyone needs to stay on the schedule of their regular, uh, regularly routine uh, immunization schedule. So we had some challenges with the distribution of the vaccine. Lots of questions I've gotten. Yeah. A lot of leaders have gotten about our plan, our prioritization plan. Can you talk a little bit about how we did that at the sure, moment? Sure, sure. It's been, it was, I would say one of the most difficult things um, that I've been a part of during the pandemic in terms of trying to figure out prioritization of how we were going to do this, because there's so many different factors that play into this, uh, that affect it. And, and maybe I'm biased because I'm a Nemours uh, associate, but I, I actually, when I look at other places and how they did it and how we did it, what we really tried to do is be cognizant of all those different factors that play into it and come up with a way to prioritize that really addresses what a lot of organizations, including the CDC and other entities had to think about, not only from a medical standpoint, but an ethical standpoint, from a justice standpoint. And so when we started our prioritization, it wasn't just about, well, who is going to be exposed, who wasn't going to be exposed. It was really about talking about, well, who's at most risk of getting severe disease, because that's what the vaccine is, is about, like preventing severe disease. So who are those associates that are uh, most at risk? And that, that has largely to do with age, that has to do with underlying medical conditions. We thought about if they were sick, who else could get sick if they lived with people who were immunocompromised or at higher risk. And then we thought about the populations that we know during the pandemic have been affected. And that includes our underrepresented minorities, including Black, African-American, Latino people, and generally where you work. So there was a, a lots of different things that we thought about, and we pulled opinion and discussion from all areas of the enterprise and the Moors to make sure, and again, this was enterprise-wide, both with the Delaware Valley and, and down in, in Florida and the sites in Florida, to make sure that we were being fair and equitable about how we're doing it. We came up with that survey that everyone has the opportunity, if they had not had already, to fill out that covered a lot of those factors to be able to do it. I think one of the things that I would I would say, especially when I talk to people out in the hospital and they stop me to talk about it, is I think everyone should look at it not so much as who deserves the vaccine, because we all deserve it. Every American in this country deserves this vaccine. Unfortunately, we're not in a position where we can disseminate. And we have to look at it as where we are and what we need and right now what we need and, and is echoed across the, the nation is our health system is at a, a really critical point. And we as healthcare providers, we need to continue to do our job. So it's important for all of us to be a part of that 
because it's not only about just us keeping it op- uh, the, our hospital open, it's about still providing a level of care, optimal care during all this pandemic. And the only way we do that is that we have people in the hospital, nurses, physicians, all the staff that make this place run uh, the way it should be. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Another thing that differentiates us from adult hospitals is we're really not seeing patients spread it to us. So Absolutely. We didn't, we didn't take into account too much. No, um, you know, where you no. were in the hospital. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because your your point is well taken, Jay. You know, you you give those numbers every week, and when we look at the number of COVID positive patients throughout the pandemic, it actually, as compared to adult hospitals, has has been relative few few and far between. I'm not saying that we haven't had COVID positive patients. We have had sick positive patients, but I would say also, besides thinking about vaccine, we've done a, a good job in terms of making sure our associates are safe with other, other uh, effective strategies, like the ones that we mentioned in terms of masking, changing the way we practice in this hospital and make sure that not only our patients are safe, but our associates are safe. And so you're right, that's not necessarily the biggest part of this in terms of saying, hey, because you work certain place that you are at risk, because that's not really what, what we are. We're really thinking about our associates even outside of the hospital to make sure that they are, are getting the protection that they need. And, and again, Everyone, uh, like you pointed out, will be getting this vaccine. There's not anyone that we haven't thought about, left, uh, you know, overlooked, and your day will be coming soon, and hopefully sooner than later. You know, you heard heard from the numbers that about half of our associates are either either don't want it now or hesitant in some way, you know, the maybes or the no's. What would you say to them? I know we know it's a new vaccine. We know it's it's only been out for a while, but what would you say to allay their fears? Yeah, so I have a, a little bit of a unique perspective because one of the things I did in my prior life was work as a medical officer for the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. And a lot, I think, of the hesitancy for, for people, um, especially medical people, is that this process has been sped up for this these vaccines to be approved. And having been a part of that process and seeing it, which normally takes years Operation Warp Speed has allowed us to have these out. But what what I think gets lost in it is not that we short, anyone shortcutted shortcut the, this process. It's that we were able to, by good planning and cooperation among lots of different places, from regulatory government agencies to industry and medical academia, get this done quicker than it would normally do. And and so when we're talking about how these vaccines were made, how these vaccines uh, do in terms of, of, of efficacy and safety, there were no shortcuts. And the vetting process for these vaccines haven't been really different than anything else that we have rolled out, just in the fact that we have done it at a much, much quicker pace than we normally would do. A lot of that has to do with the overlapping of some of the stages that would normally go on where things were already processed. So that's an important part of thinking about that, that there has been no shortcut in terms of what we're doing. Do you think this is going to change, by the way, the way we do other vaccines in the future? Have we learned from the RNA, et cetera, that maybe we'll get a better flu vaccine and other things come up? Absolutely. I hope it does. And I would guess, yes, you know, the mRNA technology that we're using for vaccines isn't necessarily new. I mean, this has been being developed. um, And the reason why it was being developed is because we can do it faster, cheaper, but also that it may have, in terms of side effects, better outcomes than, than the traditional way we've done vaccines. And so 
this is a good stage for us to see how these vaccines work. And hopefully that translates for the future in, in terms of preventing future diseases and hopefully future pandemics. Yeah, maybe other like, coronaviruses. For yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, it's been early, but I did get my vaccine. I, I had minimal pain in my arm, less than a tetanus shot, I got to say, for me. Yeah. I think people shouldn't be dissuaded by any side effect I had for sure. But you have, we now have a couple of weeks of vaccinations going on from England. Anything we've learned from this first round that you can talk about? Yeah, I think what we've learned, and again, it's still relatively early, that we aren't seeing acute or immediate reactions to the vaccine in great numbers in terms of that are, makes us worry. And really, when you're talking about vaccines and reaction or side effects for vaccines, you're really talking about it from a short-term standpoint in terms of anaphylaxis or reaction or something like that, as opposed to thinking about long-term. So the fact that we've now gone through in, in multiple places in the world uh, a couple of weeks now where we've done a lot of vaccination immunization and there hasn't been some big cluster or signal of problems, I think is really, really promising. We're going to continue to closely monitor anything that's going on and anything that does come about, again, from FDA, CDC, industry itself. They're all uh, on high alert for anything that happens. So this is all being closely monitored. But so far, things have been great. And I think that that's a really promising thing. And, um, you know, I want to do stress, you mentioned already that, you know, this doesn't provide protection yet enough to stop masking and, and lots of reasons to continue to mask and wash your hands and social distance or physically distance for, for, for a time to come. It's, it's a really, it's a, a great first step. And I have to say, you know, we had 54 or so associates turn positive last week. That's a record for a week. That's what, what we usually were seeing in a month in July and August. And I certainly hope to see that number come down as people are getting vaccinated. That'll be really interesting because we'll have our own little mini study here at Nemours. Yeah. To see, you know, are the people that are vaccinated even f- a couple days later, are they capable of getting COVID? We think they are, but maybe maybe we'll start to see the numbers start to drop. That would be great. For sure. Also an interesting yeah. time because it is the holiday season and people getting together and, and th- that makes it both interesting, but also challenging too. Yeah. We gave lots of warnings for Thanksgiving, not as many warnings now, but it's just the same thing holds. Yeah. We absolutely. just want to stay really careful through this holiday because we did see a surge after Thanksgiving and yeah, I think for sure. experiencing it now. We do have um, questions that come in uh, often to the COVID-19 questions at Nemours.org mailbox. Yep. And I just want to pass one by you today sure. in closing. Uh, that was uh, around the variant strain that was picked up of COVID-19 in the UK. What does it mean? Yeah. Uh, might it be here already in the United States? And, and what does it mean for you as an infectious disease expert? Yeah. So, you know, obviously one of the hot topics about COVID, it has been this, this strain, this genetic variant strain that we're seeing coming out of the UK. And that arose from uh, an increase in number of cases that they were seeing in one particular area of the United Kingdom and, and looking at it. And with this strain um, has why it's made so much headway because there's been a number of different genetic variant strains that have been going around but have not caught as much press as this one is because that it seems to be highly more transmittable than other variant genetic strains than than seen now okay that's that's worrisome and 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 we need to keep an eye on but so far what we know about it from the standpoint of clinical disease causing symptoms so far there doesn't seem to be a correlation in terms of it causing more severe disease, which I think is an important part of this, 
again, still being monitored and, and seen. And I, I think the other part of this where everyone wants to, to how, how does that affect in terms of, of vac vaccination, immunization, and what it means? Well, we don't think um, we have good enough data to, to understand that. This probably didn't arise because in the UK they were doing immunization and, and that led to the rise of this variant strain, which is, is a good part. We won't know absolutely what it means in terms of the vaccines that we're re receiving now. There was always potential that um, because these variants may change the immunologic response, that the vaccines that we're receiving may not be as effective. But this is something that we're all going to closely monitor. And when we look at other examples in terms of mutating viruses, it doesn't necessarily always correlate that changes in terms of your immune response. So it is something that we still are gathering information for, and we're going to keep close tabs on. In terms of it being outside of the United Kingdom, we know that it might be in other countries like Denmark and Belgium. So far, we haven't heard of it being in the United States. But, uh, you know, how this pandemic in, has gone, we know that we live in a global community. That That's always a possibility. But uh, just like anything, um, across the world, we're keeping close tabs on these kind of things. And uh, we'll see, you know, we we thought that the virus wasn't here until the new year. And now we're looking back and that we knew that it was probably even here earlier than than uh, than 2020. So just like we're doing, keeping uh, a surveillance eye on, on everything and being transparent and, and uh, adjusting when, when things come up is an important part of this. Dr. Neil Rolosa is an infectious disease specialist at the AI DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington. He joined host Dr. Jay Greenspan with the most up-to-date COVID-19 information available for you, the Nemours Associate. If you still have questions about COVID-19, answers are available. Simply email your questions to COVID19questions at Nemours.org. That's COVID19questions at Nemours.org. You can also check out Nemours.net or Nemours Now, the Nemours app, for any other information you might need. I'm happy to let you know that the Champions for Children podcast is now available on Pandora, along with all of the other major podcast distribution sources, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Subscribe on any of those networks so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to our production team, Dr. Maureen Leffler, Sandra Herman, Cheryl Munn, Deborah Griffin, and Peter Adebe. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. On behalf of Dr. Jay Greenspan and Dr. Neil Rolosa, I'm Carol Vassar, wishing you a safe, happy, and healthy holiday season. And thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do for the children we serve. <laughs>